Turn with me in your Bible to Genesis 37, book of Genesis chapter 37. We know that the book, the word Genesis, the root word is gene, it has to do with beginnings, origins. Uh, and so when we read Genesis, we're looking for hints from God of our walk with Him, how, how we need to begin our walk with God and follow through. And so we're calling this uh, message this morning, The Dreamer, which is what people called Joseph, because he was known for having a dream, for dreams, God speaking to him through dreams. So I want to, we're, actually we're, um, we're going to call the series Joseph's Justice, because when you look at the life of Joseph, we see injustice, 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 and, and uh, it's, I think it's coincidental, if we understand the word coincidence right, I think it's coincidental that just last week, Pastor Todd talked about injustice and dealing with it, and we all have to deal with injustice, and Joseph is a prime example of injustice after injustice after injustice, which culminates in justice. And that's what our target is, right? So we don't dare look at the problems along the way. We've got to look at the end result. We've got to look at the end goal, uh, what God's going to do in our lives. So uh, there's two aspects of a dream. The first is that unconscious uh, picture, that fantasy that we have in the middle of the night when sometimes we'll wake up and we'll be right in the middle of a dream and it just... We are emotionally caught up in that, which lets us understand that our dreams are like reality in our sleep. But sometimes we go into the dream, we have the adventure, the experience in living color with all the emotions, with all the fear, with all the feelings, and then we come out of it and wake up in the morning and we don't remember it. But when you wake up in the middle of the night and it's fresh, you know you woke up in the middle of the dream. It's an unconscious. You didn't plan that. You don't really know what that was about. It's, something is happening in your mind that is a fantasy, something playing out. That's unconscious. The second kind of dream, and this is what we want to talk about today, is a conscious dream. It's where you, you intentionally look at what can be. It's the Martin Luther King, I have a dream kind of dream. He could picture it. He could focus it. He could see it. We all need to have a dream like that. Yes. So I want us to look at the first 11 verses of Genesis 37 this morning, and we're going to, like we did with our study of Jacob, we're going to break it down bit at a time and apply it to ourselves. Verse 1 of Genesis 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. I want us to stop there because that's really the first point from the story I want us to look at. Jacob, who's the father of Joseph, we're studying Joseph here, but it starts out with Jacob because we all started out with a father someplace. Maybe it was an irresponsible father. Maybe it was an absent father. Maybe it was a good father, but we all had a father that kind of invested themselves in us. There's a seed they put in us. And Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. 
Jacob stayed where his father Isaac stayed. Isaac stayed where his father Abraham stayed. Sooner or later, that somebody's got to take a different route. And Joseph is about to take a different route. He cannot stay where he once was. He's got to move on. So the word there in your blank is finding your own dream. You have to find your own dream, and it may not be your father's dream. Now, most fathers uh, pass their value system on to their children. My dad loved coin collecting. He was, and his mind was organized, and if you're going to collect coins, you've got to be a little bit organized because you go by dates. And he was passionate about coin collecting. Now, he didn't... He wasn't a coin collector to collect those $1,000 coins, real rarities, you know. He, he was a penny collector. You don't make a whole lot of profit on a penny unless you find that one rare one. But he found out when the city of Butler would take their parking meter money to the bank. And he showed up half hour after that, wanted to buy the parking meter money, and they would... They'd run it through a counter, put it in a big canvas bag all loose, give him that canvas bag, he'd pay him. Next week, same thing. He was always going through pennies, and he knew those banks kind of kept him local, so every now and then he'd go to Ohio or up into Michigan and buy pennies, come home with a bunch of pennies, because that was a, you know, pennies that circulated here wouldn't be circulated over there. He loved that. And so my dad would set up this card table in the living room. And he'd sit on one side with a light over his head, and he had this magnifying glass uh, that fit over his eye like this called a loop. And he would just look down at those pennies, and it was my job to sit on the other side of the card table and flip those pennies heads up because the date is on the head side. So my job was to flip them over. And in exchange for flipping those coins over for my dad, he let me keep all the Indian head pennies I'd find. Now, you'd never find an Indian head penny anymore, but back in the 50s, you could still find those. People actually put those in parking meters, and I got to keep those, which wasn't many. But in that whole process, my dad instilled in me a value of organizing and collecting and putting things in a systematic manner. My dad also loved to fish, took me fishing. Taught me how to catch fish, clean fish, fry fish. He was a hunter. Took me hunting. Taught me how to shoot a rabbit, clean it, cook it, and spit the buckshot out. <laughs> I think all of our fathers put some kind of a value like that in us, something that was dear to them. They taught that. They passed it on to us. And we do the same thing. So we're, we're stuck in our Father's world unless God moves us into our own, unless God moves us a different direction. So we're talking here about finding your own dream, your own passion, your own purpose in life. Let's go to the second part because I have to keep moving because there's a lot I want to share. Verse 2, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph... A young man of 17 was tending the flocks of his brothers 
the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Interesting, if you let your imagination run a little bit. I wonder what that bad report was that he brought to his father. The, uh, the second part is filing a bad report. How do we file a bad report about somebody? How do you file a bad report? Facebook? A lot of people do, because I read them. You're my, if you're my friend, I read your posts. And some of us file a bad report on Facebook so everybody sees it. And quite frankly, there's people like me that see it, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? Don't you know you're going to reap what you sow? Don't do that. Bilhah and Zilpah, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jacob. They were not really the wives of Jacob. They were his wives' servants. And so that he could have children, the wives suggested that he take their servants and have children with them. So he's got two wives and four, what are, we don't call them stepwives, servant wives, and 11 kids, 12 kids from them. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob had his name changed to Israel, remember? So we're looking at the origin of Israel, but we want to also see ourselves in it. What, we, what can we learn about ourselves? So the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah probably saw themselves as second-class sons. They probably were in the role of, since their mothers were servants, they were servants. And Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph, who is the son of Rachel, jo Jacob's beloved wife, the one that he loved more than anyone else, we see him going out to work with the flocks, and he sees something that's bad. We don't know what it is. Doesn't really matter what it is. It's a problem. And how does he file it? He goes to his father and tells his father. I think there's a lesson in there for us. What do you do when you see a brother or a sister really messing up, what do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when someone takes advantage of you? What do you do when you see injustice? You take it to the Father. Amen. Have we forgot that He listens to us? Have we forgot that we have a personal relationship? That we can dump this stuff on Him? And we've got to come to a place of faith where we can dump our gripes and complaints on Him and then shake the dust off our feet and move on. Amen. We don't carry that injustice around. That becomes bitterness. We've got to shake that off because this world is full of stuff that will make you bitter. And the only way to be free is to shake that off. Yes. And if you put it in God's hand, it's not your problem anymore. Right. If it's still your problem, you really didn't give it to Him. Let's go back and do that again. So you report it to the Father. Okay, here's the third part of the story, verses 3 and 4 as it unfolds. 
Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. I may know that's a problem coming. Because he had been born to him of his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. King James Version translates that a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Jealousy puts us at a place where we're so blinded, where we're, we're, we're so animistic towards someone that we cannot say a kind word. Jealousy will do that. In the early days of my ministry, I had a struggle with that because other pastors, their churches were going great guns, and we were kind of growing slow, slow growth. And I wanted to, I, I believe the Bible talks about expansion. It talks about rapid growth, and we weren't seeing that. And anytime I'd go to a pastor's meeting, everybody would be talking about how wonderful their church was doing, and I'd just get a little jealous. And I had to watch what I'd say because my mind would start playing tricks on me and I would start pulling things out that they were, they were evil, this or they did that wrong, and I'd start getting judgmental. And I realized that's not my field to plow. They're going to be responsible to God for their field. This is my field to plow. The word here is feeling. Feeling the pain of prejudice. If you want God to use you, you've got to experience the pain of prejudice. Prejudice is simply pride. I think I'm, my kind is better than your kind. My people are better than your people. My way of doing it is better than your way of doing it. That's prejudice. God doesn't see that. Did you know that? God is colorblind. He doesn't care what side of the tracks you, you, you came from. And he does not care what your past is. He cares about your future. Amen. Your past just brought you to where you are. It's not your destination. Amen. Your destination is still ahead. So he loved this son Joseph more than all the others because he was born of his old age. That's interesting. As you get older, there's this thing happens to you called maturity. It happens to you physically. When hair starts, stops growing out the top of your head and starts growing out your ears and your nose, that's maturity. It also affects how you see life. I think I'm probably a better grandpa than I was a dad. Because when I was a dad and we had children we were raising, I was building a career. I was building our home. I was, I was building my reputation. I was building this and building that. God was blessing, but I was too busy. I had people to counsel. I had people to marry. I had funerals to do. I was visiting. I was busy, busy, busy. And now that I'm a grandpa, I don't want to miss that t-ball game. I, I make an effort now to make time that I didn't before. 
maturity because now I've come to seeing the next generation from a different perspective than I did before. I see it because I have grandkids now that are growing up. I see my life as a perpetual thing. And I'm investing in the next generation. That's exciting. Another thing, as you get older and you mature, you realize your days are numbered. Right? And you realize what you do with the days that remaining are important. And he loves this son that was born when he was older and more mature. And when his brothers saw, you know, you can see that. You can see dad pays more attention to this son than he does that one. I had a problem as a child growing up. I was the oldest of six kids. And in my first year and a half, I was number one. I was the center of attention. I got all my mom's attention, and I loved it. At 18 months of age, my sister came along, and she stole my spot. <laughs> and I spent, the, I spent the next several years angry at my sister. I hated my sister, and I didn't know why. Now that I'm older, I can look back, and I can see it was all about me. I was jealous. I wanted that number one position, and she was getting it now. And then the next one came along, my sister Pam. Same thing. I understand what they were feeling. How could they see the father's love? Well, dad gave him this elaborate coat. In the New International Version, it's called an ornate robe, but it's called a coat of many colors in the King James Version. I looked that up, and the word really doesn't talk about colors. It's just something that was very decorative. Some people wear clothing that's very decorative. You know, they get these T-shirts now. You can design all kinds of designs to advertise this or to say that. And sometimes they use embroidery, brilliant colors, really cool, not cheap. You know, they do embroidery now with, uh, with machines, but back then... Somebody had to sit down and just do that fine work with the crude tools they had. So Joseph has this coat of many colors. These other sons didn't get that. It's easy to see where the father's favor is. And favoritism always breeds jealousy. So because they're jealous, they could not speak a kind word to him. There just wasn't anything, no grace, no mercy in their heart. When you get jealous, all the mercy goes right out the window. And God's called us to be merciful. So if God is going to use Joseph in the future, he's got to learn how to overcome prejudice. If God's going to use you in the future, you have to learn how to overcome prejudice. Prejudice just goes with the territory. 
once people know the secrets of your past, they tend to be prejudiced against that if they don't understand grace. I'm so glad God's a grace-given God. I'm so glad I don't have to live with those stupid things I did in the past. All right, let's go to number four. Verses uh, five through nine, the story continues to unpack. Joseph, the beloved son, had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. How many know there's a trouble? There's trouble coming. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. There's sometimes you have dreams, and you just need to keep it to yourself. <laughs> because the dream was about Joseph, not about his brothers. We tend to have dreams and we want to project it out to other people and say, well, you're in my dream and this is what God's saying to you. No, no, no. You had the dream. God's speaking to you. What's God saying to you? We need to ask ourselves this because it always comes back to us. If God wants to speak to them, he'll give them the dream. But he gave you the dream because it's speaking about you. We need to ask ourselves. So he has this dream, this image of sheaves. And I know in this in this generation, uh, people don't even know what sheaves are. Sheaves are when you go out into a wheat field and you cut the stalks of wheat off and then you bundle them together and you stand them up so that they'll dry and you tie them together and you stand them up. And if you're in a hurry, as most wheat farmers are when it's wheat harvest time, your sheaves aren't always nice and neat. Sometimes they're leaning over. And so he said, I had this dream, and my sheaf was out in the wheat field, and it was standing up straight. And all around me were the sheaves that were crooked. They were leaning, bowing down toward mine. Isn't that a wonderful dream? Wonderful to Joseph, not so wonderful to them. They just got, it just added to their jealousy. Everything he says, they interpret through their jealousy, through their hatred, through their bitterness. So Joseph's dream was for Joseph, not for broadcast. Nobody else understood what God was saying. What God is saying to Joseph is, you're about to have some hard times. You're about to have some difficulties. You're about to have some problems and people are going to turn on you. I want you to know as you go through those difficulties that I have a plan for the future. It's not for today, it's for the future. Hang on to that dream. God has given him hope for the future. It's not for everybody else. It's for him. God will give us dreams to give us hope for the future. We need to hang on to that. 
So God's purpose in giving him that dream was to develop him for things to come. I believe at my age, God is still developing in me for things to come. I have not reached my destination yet. When I have reached my destination, you can all come to my funeral. But don't come yet. Because I have not reached my destination. I'm working on it. Got a ways to go. So we need to dream. We need to envision. We need to, in our mind, see what can be. We need to focus ourselves. So point number four is focusing your dreams on yourself. What would it look like if your business or your ministry was a huge success? What would that look like? Picture it. What would it look like if you had the ideal marriage that was an example for people all around you? What would that look like? Once you, once you get a picture in your mind of what it can be, then strategize, how am I going to get from here to there? And that's how you're going to be a success in life. I have a dream, Martin Luther spoke loudly for the whole crowd to hear. It was his dream. He's trying to give them the dream. And we're still listening to that speech today. I have a dream for our church. And it doesn't have a whole lot to do with what happens in here on the weekend. It has a whole lot to do when the church goes home, back into our neighborhoods, into our community. But if I can't picture it, if I can't envision it, we can never achieve it. And some of us have to overcome our own negatives in our mind. Yes. We'll never be able to afford that. Nobody will ever forgive me. Nobody will ever love me. Who says that? I said that. I need to stop it. I need to be positive, not negative. I need to realize my past is, yes, my past, but it's not my future. My future is different. I'm moving toward my future. I'm not going to be anchored back to my past. Picture it in your mind. Years ago, our church met in a little building down here at the corner of Washington and Maple Street where the Head Start building is now. And we had grown slowly but surely until we were full. We went to two services, and we were full again. We were landlocked, had no parking, no place to grow, no classrooms. We knew we had to do something. So we began exploring where's some land we can build or where's a building we could buy? What can we do next? What's our next step? And about that time, there was an agricultural firm called AgriPro had a warehouse out here on US-6, right on the edge of Waterloo, that came up for sale. And we decided we'd explore it. So got all the, the elders together and the deacons and leadership, and we went down and we met with the realtor, and they took us through that building. They let us look at it. And you know, it's a warehouse. You know, there's no point of reference. It just looked like this huge building. And I remember walking in there, and I remember, how big is this? 20,000 square foot. 
I looked at that and I thought, what would we do with 20,000 square foot? There's no way we'll ever fill that. What would we do? 20,000. We looked at it and we began to think. We began to dream. Well, here's the front door is already in place. The office over here is already in place over here. This would be the ideal place for a sanctuary. All we have to do is put up some walls and a, some kind of a ceiling. And right next to that, we could have this fellowship hall. And over here could be the classrooms and, uh, and educational space. We began thinking and dreaming about the possibilities of what we could do. And we began to get excited because we had a dream. So I remember on a, on a Sunday morning, I got up in front of the whole church. Some of you remember this. And I shared everyone the dream about buying that agri-pro pro building right on US 6. Perfect location. Let's do that. Let's all pray about it. And we had set up a meeting with the agri-pro people. I don't know where their home office was. It was out in Nebraska, Kansas, out there someplace. And we set up a meeting, and they came, they flew in just to talk to us about that building. We met at the, in the conference room of Campbell Fetter Bank, a new bank at that time in, in Auburn. And we met with our, we had our CPA come in, and, and the board of directors were there, and we talked with them. We presented uh, to them the possibility of us buying it. Of course, we could not afford to pay what they were asking. But we come up with a lowball figure that we thought, we could do that because once you buy it, now you got to put the money in renovations and fixing it up. So we went to work on that. We met with them. We presented the option, and they turned us down. And I had to get up the next Sunday in front of the church and say, we made a mistake. We were confident this was God's will, but God didn't answer your prayers. That's hard to do, to eat crow, you know, and admit you, admit you took a misstep. And now we are in this building, 30,000 square foot. How did we get here? How did we take that step? We did it because we dreamed in that other building. God allowed us to fail in our attempt to purchase that building to get us to dream bigger, to think bigger. I want you to dream. What are the possibilities and what would those look like? Here's the fifth point I want to want to share. Did I uh, did I give you point number 4 focusing? Focusing on your dream, you focusing your dreams on yourself. Number 5 is framing things for the future. Look at verses 10 and 11. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, "What is this dream you had?" Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. His father Jacob learned from his experience the Lord works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. We put a plan in place. But if we don't have God working with us on the plan, it's not going to happen. But God does work out His plan, no matter if that was yours in the first place or not. God is good. So we need to focus things on the future. The Father kept the matter in mind. 
Mary also, in the New Testament, Mother Mary did not understand that angel who came and talked to her about what was going to happen to her. But it said, Mary pondered these things in her heart. I want to encourage you, ponder things that happen in your life. Things that God shows you that don't happen, things that you expected that disintegrated, the disappointments, the rejection, ponder all these things because your life is going someplace. And it's all in that direction. Think positive. <clears throat> Back when I was a boy, there was, uh, we, my, my friends and I were into uh, wrestling, professional wrestling. And there was this wrestler that, that we loved called Gorgeous George. And Gorgeous George had hair that was a little bit longer than was popular in the 1950s. And he would get up in front of the microphone and he would use this wrestling jargon. You know, he would use these terms about how he's going to uh, beat them, he's going to win, he's the greatest. Uh, he just constantly bragging on himself. Uh, and of course, when, when you're an impressionable young guy like I was, you just eat that up. You think that's really great because you've got a developing ego and gorgeous George just speaks it out for you. One of the young men who listened to Gorgeous George brag about himself was a young African-American by the name of Cassius Clay. At age 12, he started boxing, and he got good, and then he got better. He started winning competitions. <clears throat> by the way, if you don't know who Cassius Clay is, he later changed his name to Muhammad Ali. That name you know. So Cassius Clay picked up on Gorgeous George. And when he had an opportunity to speak to the newscasters, he would brag about how tough he was, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, hand can't hit what the eye can't see. He had these little jingles, and he would get up there and he would dance around. He'd dance all over that place. You'd think he's wearing himself out before the fight even starts. But he, was, he applied it. He was a bragger. Why was he bragging? He learned it from Gorgeous George. But what was he doing? He was talking to himself. You can do this. You're the toughest boxer out here. You can whip him. You float like a butterfly and you sting like a bee. Dance around and they're confused. They don't know which way to swing. And he pulled it off became a champion. He convinced himself. He talked to himself. I think we need to preach to ourselves. Before I get up here and preach to you, I try to visualize what it's going to look like if I would be the best preacher in DeKalb County. If I'd preach a motivational message that got everybody hooked in and made everybody want to walk and follow Christ and go a little deeper in our faith, what would it look like if I preached a sermon like that? And I tell myself, I, I, I'm not going to say I rehearse it, but in my mind I go over and over what I'm going to talk about because I want to be the best. I want this sermon this morning to be the best sermon I've ever preached. Of course, then I got to beat myself next week. <laughs> <laughs> I 
One of the problems we have, you and I, is what we could call stinking thinking. I am limited to my past, to my experience, to what I know. No, I'm not. Only if I think that way. But I want to be limited to what God has in the future, what God sees, what can be. God gave Joseph this dream about the sheaves, his standing tall and the others bowing down, so he wouldn't get discouraged when they reject him. So he wouldn't get discouraged when there's a problem. He was giving him hope for the future. This book is loaded with stories like this to give you and me hope for the future. Amen. I am not stuck in my past. No. Other people try to hold me to it, but I'm not stuck there. I'm moving ahead. I'm moving on. Amen. I want you to move on. I want you to stand tall. I want you to think like you're a child of the king. Amen. Think like you're an ambassador for Christ. Think like you have eternity in your heart. Let's stand. I think I just preached myself to success. Amen. I feel like a winner this morning. Amen. I want you to feel like a winner this morning. Don't judge yourself today. You're not, you haven't arrived yet. You're not at the end of the race. Hang in there. Follow through. You can do it. Stop your stinking thinking and start thinking like a child of the king. Then we don't look at defeat as defeat. We can see it as a setback, but I'm not defeated. I'm going to get back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. The unrighteous man stays down. I'm going to get back up. And you need to get back up. You can do this, church. Amen? This is an, I preach to the crowd, but it's an individual message. Each of us individually need to grab a hold of it. It's God's word to give us hope for the future. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, because we're, we're in this fix together. We're in this race together. We're in this church, this community together. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be strong down on the inside, to look to the future, to not be content with where we are right now, but to know you have something better. You got to clean out the debris out of our life first, and then you want to bring us to new life. So Lord, we give you permission. We surrender our life to you. We give you permission to do what you want to do because we know you're a good God and your end is always going to be better than our end. So we trust you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Go with God. He loves you. Remember the mission field is outside these doors. Go to town.